Have you ever wondered how the Lord works in drawing out faith? I've been thinking about that a lot lately with the things that we have going on as a church, where where is that point in time where your faith actually kicks in? I wonder if you've ever wondered where that line is, where your resources, your ingenuity, your skill set comes to an end, and then now this is where you have to trust the Lord. And I'm not referring to the fact that there is a general faith in Jesus that we have when we put our faith in the Lord and we're forgiven of our sins and his grace is at work daily in our lives. I'm referring to a very specific thing such as active faith. This act of faith, which allows us to step out and step into what God has called us to be involved with. Now, there are times in our lives that God will allow us to get to that point where our faith is forged at the end of ourselves where even at times we get into this place where we're in our uh, place of despair where we're worried, we're concerned. You know, we've reached the end of our limit. We don't know how we're going to make it going forward. And so there, the Lord says, now you're ready for faith to kick in. You know, often I have found, and maybe you've discovered this as well, that our faith is buried under our intellect or our resource, uh, you know, our resources or our ingenuity or our pride. Our faith is insulated by our situation in life, maybe our good health or tangible securities or social structures, just to name a few. But faith in Jesus is often layers beneath all of those aforementioned practical things in life. And those things, though, do have a tendency to get stripped away. When one of those things goes, we fall back on the other things that we have at our disposal. But what happens when they all get stripped away? What are we left with? You know, there's an amazing story in Judges chapter 7 where Gideon, who was one of the judges of Israel, was faced with overwhelming odds. He was faced with this wicked, wicked army. Over 130,000 enemies of Israel. And he was supposed to do something about it. And so he sounds the call to arms and we see about 32,000 or so men show up to fight. And you might think, wow, well, that's really, really bad odds. You know, we're looking at four to one, best case scenario. We're, we're, We're looking at in over our head, but maybe, you know, if we're strong and we're courageous, each of us can take out four or more guys and we can win. But the Lord tells Gideon, he says, you know what? Your 32,000 men is too many. If I were Gideon, I'd be thinking, Lord, did I completely not hear you correctly? How is it that my 32,000 men is too many to fight an army of 130,000 men? You have too many. And the Lord goes on to explain to Gideon that there's not going to be anything left for any man to say that his arm saved him. No man will be able to say it was my own strength and my own courage and my own ability that gave us the victory. The Lord said, I am going to make it so no man can say such a thing. And you know the story. That 32,000 man army gets dwindled down to 300 men. 300. 
If I were Gideon, I would probably been thinking, Lord, I'm already way in over my head. I already am in a negative and the little that I have, you remove. What is that about? I wonder if any of you can relate to that today where the Lord is doing something in your life where you're so far in the negative that you're like, this is absolutely impossible for any man to do anything about. And the Lord says, there is where active faith begins. You will be able to say that it is the Lord who gave you the victory. Today in our study, we're gonna be looking at an excerpt from the Gospel of Matthew chapter 15. And the very first thing that I like to highlight for you is this, make your request known. In verse 21 of Matthew 15, we read, Then Jesus went out and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. Now, a little bit of a contextual background for our study today. Tyre and Sidon, these little communities or cities, if you will, are both located on the east coast of the Mediterranean Sea, which is modern-day Lebanon. This area is about 50 miles northeast of Capernaum. And if you studied the Gospels, you would know that Capernaum was Jesus' base of operations. So this is actually, this distance of 50 miles is actually the farthest recorded distance that Jesus ever traveled that we have record of. This is the furthest distance that Jesus traveled from Capernaum from to Tyre and Sidon. This was part of the Roman province of Syria, and it included all of Palestine. Many of you know that region very well, or you've heard about it a lot in the news, or you've looked at a map occasionally. But it's believed that one of the main reasons that Jesus traveled such a great distance was because he had a very public confrontation with the religious leaders in Jerusalem, and Jesus was looking for some peace and quiet. It's recorded for us in Mark 7, 24, that from there, after this public confrontation with the religious leaders, that Jesus arose and went to the region of Tyre and Sidon, and he entered a house and wanted no one to know it, but he could not be hidden. So he desired to go to a place where he could, you know, take a step back from this public interaction, at least momentarily, but it it says he could not be hidden. And you can understand if you knew Jesus was anywhere near you, you'd want to be there too. And it says, behold, a woman of Canaan who was a Greek. She was Syrophoenician, the book of Mark tells us. She came from that region and she cried out to Jesus saying, have mercy, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon possessed. And here is this woman who is desperate for her little girl who is severely demon-possessed, the scriptures say. Demon possession is a very serious thing. And though we don't see this kind of thing happening in the West too often, it's surprisingly more common in the East and in African cultures today. This may be for one reason or another, uh, but that topic is for another time. But with that being said, her daughter, this woman, her daughter was under the control and inhabited by an evil spirit. This condition is indeed extreme. This is beyond the help of any natural remedy. In some circles, there are churches and individuals that believe that Christians can be demon-possessed. And I think it's important to address this today. This is absolutely untrue. For when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, the Lord does not share you with anybody. Darkness and light aren't cohabiting together. 
The Lord sets his seal upon you that if you put your faith in Jesus, he says, you are mine. And he's not going to share you with anyone. Darkness and light cannot dwell together. And so as a church here, we're not casting out of Christians, you know, the demon of anything. You know, a literal entity, entity or a demon of a particular sin. It's a, it can be very common to hear someone saying, well, we're going to cast out the demon of gluttony or the demon of lust or the, the demon of bad breath or whatever it might be. But listen, as a Christian, you could struggle in sin, and that's because that's part of your sinful nature, and you wrestle daily with sinful desires and sinful actions, but you don't need to have an exorcism. You need to read your Bible. You need to go to church. You need to pray. And if you have bad breath and you just need a mint, you know, you're okay. So the woman in our story, though, has a daughter that was not oppressed because we need to understand that there's a difference between oppression and possession. And hopefully just in the words themselves, you can kind of decipher the difference. Oppression means something coming upon. Possession means something taking hold of you or, or, or owning you. And so a Christian that is filled with the Holy Spirit can experience spiritual attack, we call it, or oppression where you feel like there's a heaviness or there's you know, an attack coming against your family. That is not possession. Possession is something where you're not filled with the Holy Spirit and there is an actual demon or multiple demons that will inhabit your body. And I know this isn't usually a nice thing to talk about because most of those things that we've ever seen like that happened in Hollywood and we don't really understand what this, you know, what this actually means. Well, having done exorcisms myself, which I never signed up for. Um, you know, I had some things that have happened to me where I was like, hey, this wasn't part of the pastor's training manual, you know, and, and uh, I don't like those things. And I don't think anybody really does. Um, but we know that somebody can be possessed and that is a serious problem. And the only thing or only one rather that can set that person free is Jesus. If you feel a little weirded out by what I just said, well, understand this. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world, and don't ever forget that. If you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you have nothing to worry about. You are greater than even the most powerful adversary because you have the Holy Spirit alive in you. Okay, so oppression coming upon, possession internal, those are two separate things. So the woman in our story was not oppressed. This daughter was not oppressed, but she was possessed. Now, I think this begs the question for us today. Have any of you ever had someone that you loved greatly be in a bad place? Somebody that you cared about and they were hurting, they were struggling and you couldn't help them. Maybe it was a mom or a dad, a brother or a sister, a son or a daughter. Maybe, you know, it was a spouse. You know, your husband or your wife was ill or suffering and it was not within your power to help them. It's an absolutely awful place to be. That feeling of helplessness. That feeling of hopelessness is without equal. I've known personally individuals that were demon-possessed and their suffering was indeed great even as the suffering of this woman's daughter was as well in our story. But there is a suffering vicariously that seems to always be in proportion to the amount of love that we have for the person that's truly suffering. When you care for someone so much and you see that they're hurting, it hurts you. 
And that's why in verse 22, we can kind of understand a little bit, of, a little bit more about how she cries out. Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. This Greek Syrophoenician woman cries out publicly professing her faith in Jesus as the Messiah as she says, the son of David. I believe you are the Messiah. This is fascinating because she wasn't a Jew. She was a Greek. She was a Gentile. Yet she believed that Jesus was the son of David, which was a term which we all know for the Messiah, the Savior of the world. When I read this, I feel like I can feel her desperation in her call to the Lord. She yelled out to Jesus for help. Help, Lord. You know, surely Jesus would help her daughter. Surely he would understand her plight. Surely he would comprehend her sorrow. But it says he answered her not a word in Matthew 15, verse 23. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, send her away. She cries out after us. Boy. What a group of guys to have by you. Hey, this lady, she just won't be quiet. Please, Lord, just get rid of her. Glad the Lord's not like that. And to that end, there's two things to point out here. Number one, Jesus didn't answer her, not even a word. Take a breath and exhale. Have you ever felt like you've prayed and Jesus did not answer you? Almost as if he's not hearing you. Like you've prayed and you've prayed and you've prayed and you've prayed and you feel like it literally, your prayer has hit the proverbial prayer ceiling. Why is the Lord not hearing me? Have you ever felt like this woman may have felt that the Lord is not even giving you a response when you call out to him? You cry out to God and all you hear are crickets. What you feel in your heart comes from what goes through your mind. And if you're following this train, we ask the Lord, why? Why, Lord, would you allow this to happen? And then why, Lord, when I call out to you, you don't, you don't hear a single thing that I'm saying to you? And maybe even this morning, it might even bring tears to your eyes because this is so raw as you feel as if God does not care about you because if he did, why would he allow this to happen? And furthermore, you called out to him, you prayed, and nothing immediately changed. And that's a very difficult place to be in. It's a very difficult place to be in, but guess what? That's the exact place where the Lord begins to scratch the surface of your faith. You've tried conventional wisdom. You've applied all, you've applied all types of strategies to find the solution. And now all the layers of your resources are being peeled away like an onion. Well, I tried this, strip, tried that, strip, tried this, removed, tried that, taken away. And there beneath all of it, 
is this little tiny mustard seed of faith. And we spiritually say, ouch. Ah, this is extremely uncomfortable. This is miserable. Oh, I don't like this at all. All of a sudden, all of the things that start happening in our emotions and in our mind and in our spiritual being, it's like, I, I actually hate this. This is the worst thing I've ever experienced. What? I'm having to exercise my faith. I mean, God forbid, as a follower of Jesus, that I would have to exercise my faith. I mean, quite frankly, I think if we're all honest, we might just say, Lord, I'd rather not use my faith at all. Get me across the finish line into heaven, Lord. Keep me out of hell. Forgive me of my sins. But in the day-to-day, I'd rather not exercise faith at all. I just kind of like it laid out all before me. And we were talking with our team this morning about the things that the Lord's leading us into. And we kind of joked around about how the Lord up until this point, and I believe he's going to continue to do it, is he tells us to take a step of faith, and then he provides. We take another step, and then he comes through. How often it's the case where I know for me anywhere, I'm like, Lord, how about you provide first and then I take a step? Lord, how about you do all of it beforehand and then I step into that? I'd prefer that. Because in my flesh, I don't want to use faith. In the spirit, without faith, it's impossible to please the Lord. And so the Lord will allow our resources to be stripped away. He'll allow that insulation to be removed. And there you're left with faith. Faith. So if it weren't difficult enough, Jesus not answering her, Jesus' disciples are now telling her, get out of here. Leave. Lord, please, this woman is driving me out of my mind. Get rid of her. Jesus' personal assistants are like, hey, I'm sorry, lady. Jesus isn't available right now. Please try again later. You know, we have some openings, you know, opening up right around the rapture of the church, if you want to check back then. She was bothering the disciples. Honestly, I could see James and John asking Jesus if they should just call fire down upon her. Lord, should we just toast her right now? Consume her? Sometimes, listen to me very carefully. The Bible says there's none righteous, no, not one. Sometimes other people, Christians, and even our own thoughts can misrepresent who Jesus is. The disciples telling this lady or even giving off the vibe, so to speak, of get out of here, we're not interested, like let's separate ourselves from her. That was not the heart of Jesus. They misrepresented the Lord. From verse 23 here, and maybe even from a page of your own life that you're currently on, Jesus not answering at all means that he did not answer no. Did you notice that? He didn't say yes, but he also did not say no. So why do you think that God at times is thought to be remaining silent when we pray? I may be the pastor of this church, but there are times that I pray and I feel like God's not answering or he's not hearing 
That's me leaning on my own understanding. I wonder if you have ever experienced anything like that yourself. So is the Lord remaining silent, or I have to ask myself, am I just not hearing the reply that I'm hoping for? Maybe I can have selective hearing, you know, like when you're a kid and your parents tell you to do something two feet away and you say, oh, I didn't hear you, but you're upstairs in your room playing video games and your parents whisper something. They're like, hey, what was that? What do you mean we're going to go there? Like, how do you even hear that? So when we pray, am I having selective hearing? Lord, you're not giving me the answer that I want to hear, so that obviously can't be from you. Because there is such a thing as selective hearing when it comes to our prayer life. Lord, I'm just waiting for the answer that I want to receive. But listen, sometimes the Lord will say yes. Sometimes the Lord will say no. Sometimes he'll say not right now. But you have to make your requests known. You have to call out to the Lord and you need to keep calling out to the Lord and you need to never stop calling out to the Lord ever because he draws out our faith as we spend time seeking him. You draw near to him. He draws near to you. This is a spiritual truth that will never be made void. But he answered finally. In verse 24, Matthew 15, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Hey, I was sent to the Jews. So what is he inadvertently saying? You're not a Jew. You're actually a Gentile. You're a Syrophoenician. I was sent to the lost house, the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So let's break this down. What Jesus said was true. As if we would ever see Jesus saying something that was not true. This is true what he said. He was sent to the people of Israel. He was not sent to the Gentiles. The church was not in the physical game plan at this particular point. Yes, God had a plan for the Jews and Gentiles to be grafted into one church family through faith in Jesus. But that was not yet revealed. Jesus was sent to minister to the house of Israel. That was a fact. And so, however, as ominous as this statement may appear to be, it's actually laced with hope. Now, at first glance, I think you might say, well, how is that? I mean, that pretty much sounded like an absolute and complete shutdown in my estimation. In my estimation, I mean, that would have been like on a reality TV show where somebody just got burned badly and everyone's like, oh. Let me explain. By saying this, guess what? Jesus is not agreeing with his disciples to send her away. The disciples are like, let's move this woman on. Jesus is not agreeing with them. And this establishes something very important in the life of the Christian, you and me praying to the Lord, for it removes any preconceived ideas that God is not concerned with your situation. Because if that were true, Jesus would have just said, yeah, let's move her along. And so when you're praying, and you feel as if God is not listening and he's not concerned with you and he's not paying attention, there could be nothing further from the truth. He's very concerned 
And it's also important to note that this woman is not only dismissed, but she's left free and she's allowed to continue to to pursue Jesus. And that's amazing. Nothing impeded her from continuing to call out to Jesus. Nothing stopped her from continuing to have her requests made known. But why would the Lord not answer her immediately? Why would the Lord allow this woman to continue calling out to him? Put this on a personal level now. Can you relate to this? Why would the Lord not answer you immediately, but allow you to keep praying to him? Why would he do that to you? Why would he allow that? Why are you praying for something even now that you've been praying for for some time and you don't have a clear sense of direction or you don't understand what you're to do or you have not heard from the Lord? Why? Well, I've come to determine in my own life and hopefully this paints a a good enough picture that prayer is the shovel by which we excavate the sand of our abilities and find the power of faith in a living God. If you were an archaeologist and you were trying to discover a precious hidden item, artifact, you'd have to remove so many layers of other things before you got to it. And I really truly believe that as if prayer could have this physical manifestation of a shovel that you're digging away maybe preconceived ideas. The dirt and filth of sin. Heading down the wrong path. Asking for the wrong things. Leaning on your own understanding. Relying upon your own resources. And as you pray and as you wrestle with God like Jacob did, as you work out your own salvation and you start to own for yourself what the word of God says. Did God really say that? Is his word true? Can I trust in these things? That you'll find that the Lord is actually doing a work in you through the entire process. This woman here would not be deterred from making her request known to Jesus. She also would not be distracted or be put off from calling out to the Lord. Nor should we. Nor should we. We should not be distracted from our time in prayer. We should not be put off by somebody else's opinions. Sometimes well-intended, good Christian people can say things that they ought not to be saying or communicate a character of Jesus that actually misrepresents him. That's why you need to know for yourself what you believe and what God's word says. And she came and worshiped Jesus in verse 25 saying, Lord, help me. She humbled herself before the Lord. And I know what that's like too as we all do, where we're like, Lord, I just need your help. I don't know what to do. I don't know how this is going to work out, but you do. Please, Lord, help me. She humbled herself before the Lord. She fell to her knees, possibly even prostrated herself before Jesus and just cried out, Lord, would you please help me? Have mercy. Help my daughter. 
She was insistent. She was persistent in asking for help. And it does seem that the more desperate we are in our time of prayer, the more qualified we become to appreciate the mercy that we require. When things are just handed to you, you don't appreciate them, do you? You really don't. But when you've bled, when you've sweat, when you've agonized, when you've allowed the process of the Holy Spirit to minister into you and uh, to minister to you and work in you and through you, then you start to see, all right, I've come to this place where I actually really have to trust in the Lord. This is real faith. You come out on the other side appreciating the process so much more. You, you come out a changed man or woman. You come out closer to the Lord. In James 5.16 from the New Living Translation, it says the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Might pray once, uh, it didn't happen, over it. Persistent prayer. The more the disciples wished her to go away, the less she went away. The less the Savior said to her, the more she cried out. And so he says, I was not sent except to the, law, to the, sheep of the, the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And he answered again and says, it's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. Man, this is like two strikes. What is this about? I think we could have our misguided pop culture projected upon this text as like, whoa, that's another shutdown. That's number two. But what exactly is he saying here? At the beginning of our time together this morning, as we embarked in this, in this study, it was stated that Jesus came looking for rest. Remember, he traveled 50 miles away from Capernaum. But I believe that Jesus knew that he would come into contact with this woman way before he even left for Tyre and Sidon. Jesus knew what he was going to do He's drawing out faith from this woman. And it was a great faith. She kept asking. She kept seeking. She kept knocking. Asking for help, she would receive it. Seeking God's will, she would find it. Knocking on the door, it would be found opened for her. But wait, didn't I just read that like the Lord kind of called her a little dog? Uh, this, <laughs> this isn't like urban Sidonian slang, you know, so to speak. This actually isn't a derogatory statement either, for it was a phrase used to describe the little puppies that were dwelling in your house. Big picture, full context. Jesus said that he'd been sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, not to the Gentiles. So on one hand, this was a clear definition of the Messiah's mission to reach the house of Israel first. The Lord is true to his word. On the other hand, it also meant that there was something afterwards for those who came second, the Gentiles, you and me. And she said, yes, Lord, verse 27 Yet even the little puppies eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm blown away by this woman's reply to Jesus. Even more so, what a tremendous work of Jesus in drawing out this woman's faith. The Lord spoke to her and her response was, guess what? Look at the first two words in her reply. 
Do you see them there in verse 27? Two of the most important words that you can ever, ever have in your prayer life and in your relationship with God. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. So she acknowledges that what Jesus had to say was true. His first ministry was to the Jews. But somehow she also understood that Jesus would have an extended ministry. And she wanted part of that. So the Lord is working in your life according to his will and his plan for you. We at times, I think in our flesh, we love to fight against God's plan or at best complain about it. Why, Lord? Why would you allow this? This is ridiculous. You've got to be kidding me. You can't even make this stuff up. But acknowledging and submitting to God's first priority, which is his work, his will, being accomplished in your life, you'll find, you'll discover all along through everything, he had your best interest in mind. She didn't debate with the Lord like we often like to, like, well, why this and how come that and I don't get it and all this, but rather she stated that she would even take the crumbs that were left over from Jesus' ministry to the Jews. Lord, just help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, oh woman, how great is your faith? You have amazing faith. You are a woman of faith. Jesus said, could you imagine that in front of even the disciples were like, hey, get out of here. And he's like, you are a woman of great faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And it says that her daughter was healed from that very hour. I mean, what an amazing and awaited reply from Jesus. Great is your faith. Jesus said to the woman. You want to hear something else that you can just file away for later when you're referencing this scripture? This is the only time in the entire Bible where it is recorded that Jesus told someone, great is your faith. Ever. This is the only time. And it was to a Syrophoenician woman 50 miles away from where Jesus was doing ministry. David Guzik who's a great pastor and commentator, wrote this, and I quote, her faith was great because she worshiped Jesus even before she had an answer from him. Her faith was great because it had been tested so severely. Her faith was tried by the seeming indifference or coldness of Jesus. Her faith was great because it concerned a need right in front of her and a real need at that, end of quote. In Matthew 7, verses 7 through 8, Jesus said, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives, and he who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. And so church today, you individually today, ask for the Lord's help, and it will be given to you. 
It's already been given to you thus far and you may not even have realized it yet. How often we get through things wondering, why is God not helping? Why is God not hearing? Why is God not acting? Not realizing all along that you would have been toast if it was not for his grace and strength carrying you thus far and even giving you another day to pray, Lord, please help me. His ways are beyond finding out. Seek the Lord's perfect will for your life and you will find it. Knock on the door of opportunity in every circumstance and the Lord will open your understanding and he will lead you through whatever it is that you're going through. Whatever it is. I think it's safe to say that this woman's faith in our story today was great because she would not give up. She didn't throw in the towel. She didn't quit. She persevered. May our faith not give up either. There are a lot of steps of faith that the Lord has called you to take. There are a lot of great steps of faith that the Lord is calling our church to take. May our faith not give up either. May the Lord have his perfect work accomplished in your life and through your life. And there you will find that you as well will begin to scratch the surface of the great faith that God is drawing out of your life. It is unpleasant. It is difficult. And you may not like it. But if you trust the Lord through it and you hold fast to what you know to be true in the word of God, you will find that all things work together for the good of those who love the Lord and are called according to his purposes. And so if you want to be that great man or great woman of faith, don't kick against it. Don't rebel against it. Don't complain. Like you're going to have to wrestle through it. You're going to have to work it out. I understand that. But you can either say, Lord, I embrace your sovereignty and your perfect will in my life. These things that I don't like and that I don't understand, I defer to you. And even when I don't understand, Lord, not my will, but yes, Lord, as this woman said, your will be done. As Jesus said to his father, as he prayed, Lord, if it's possible, can you change the situation? But even if you don't change this situation that I'm in, your will be done, Lord. And that's always the best place that we can be. And so typically you would get this message on January 1st, but it just seemed appropriate to get it today on the 15th. This is where we're at. This is a great place to be. This is an exciting place to be. And only you have the power to rob yourself of the great blessings that God has where you say, no, I'm going to do it my own way or allow the Lord to flow through you, his Holy Spirit to guide you and to strengthen you, to go before you and prepare your way. And you will find that his grace is sufficient in your time of need. He's your shield. He's your strong tower that you can run into and be safe. So the Lord's not unaware. He hasn't forgotten about you. Your prayers aren't hitting the ceiling and falling back down. Stay persistent, stay committed, and don't allow the devil as he's coming in to sow seeds of doubt 
to get you to quit, to stop running the race, to stop doing what's right. Don't allow that to take hold in your life. You look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. He began it, he's sustaining it, and he'll complete it. So we have some exciting things ahead. But I think even greater than that, you have some exciting things ahead because the Lord has prepared it so for you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness. We thank you for your great blessings. Lord, we ask that you would please help us as we go forward, Lord, in this new year, as we step out in faith, as we truly, truly, Lord, need you in every area of our life. Lord, we pray that you would continue to give your church, this church, favor. Lord, would you continue to have the work of the Holy Spirit accomplished here through the teaching of your word, through discipleship, through evangelism, through the training of the young and old, the equipping of the young and old for the work of the ministry. And Father, may we never forget that this is your church, we are your people, and it's your work. And when you work, Lord, no one can hinder it. And so thank you, Lord, for the little strength that we have belongs to you. May we continue, Lord, to keep your word, to proclaim your name. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people say, amen. Let's stand. We're going to close out with a song of worship this morning to kind of send you out on your way. If you need prayer for anything, as was mentioned, our prayer team will be available after service today to pray for you or with you for anything. God is able to do anything. And we will join with you and pray and seek the Lord. May the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you. May he be gracious unto you. May he lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And lastly, don't forget to join us this Thursday night, 7 p.m. Sign up online. You'll get the address and all the info. And we're going to just start it off by praying and seeking the Lord for the great things that he has done and what we believe he is calling us to do in the future. Have a great rest of your Sunday and God bless.